Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Build a Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Build a Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Build-A-Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build-A-Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Don't miss the Contractors Coalition Summit. You can go to ContractorsCoalitionSummit.com and join us in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th. This is going to be an incredible event. Again, for all of you builders and designers looking to take your business to the next level to learn about all things, systems, organization, pricing, social media, marketing, how to be a better business owner, all the things that we wish we knew as early business owners many years ago. We're going to speak about that. Also give you a Dropbox with all the content, including contracts and other documents that we're using, as well as KPIs, key performance indicators. So don't miss it. It's a huge opportunity. Some amazing vendors will be there as well that you can network with. So again, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th, 2024 in Minneapolis. Go to ContractorsCoalitionSummit.com. Well, I mean, I put my email on a billboard in New York City. You can imagine the types of crazy shit that happened. <laughs> One of those things was an email from Mark Cuban. I did not believe it was real. I thought that this was totally a setup. It ended up being a, a very much a real thing and uh, I would end up meeting Mark Cuban and the rest is history. So welcome to the podcast. Today we have a special guest, Q Harrison Terry. Welcome Q. Yo, what's up, what's up? <laughs> so just a quick background, Q Harrison, he's an international best-selling author, growth marketer with Mark Cuban companies and one of the top, voice, top voices on LinkedIn tech. And um, I was really fortunate, Q, to meet you at the LinkedIn Global Summit. I mean, we were just talking about that before it got on about four years ago, and a lot sure has changed since we were both out in New York, New Jersey for that for that event. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, the, the world has changed. I mean, your industry has changed. Yeah. <laughs> My industry has changed now. I mean, there's a lot. A lot has changed. What do you think's changed the most? I mean, just in four years, I know just in prepping for the... Right. So, uh, so yeah, like... Pre pre twenty twenty three or or po with twenty twenty three included. I I would do yeah twenty twenty three. So I think the biggest change that I don't think anyone expected was the proliferation of AI and how good it's gotten. I think everyone expected AI to you know have some type of impact on our lives, but you know for some people this is actually going to replace their their day-to-day -day jobs now i'm not going to say that there's not net new opportunities that are going to arise but similar to like how we're talking right now and podcasting is a big deal podcasting's been around since like 04 if i remember correctly right like mm -hmm. you could you they had i remember on the first ipod like you know they had a in itunes they had a podcast uh section and you could load podcast on the player and there was rss feeds and all that good stuff 
but it became popular largely because of social media. So people were able to share their opinions, drive traffic to their to their RSS feeds and, you know, brand it. And social media was something that didn't really exist 14, 15 years ago, right? Like the whole concept of uh, having a social department or branding, that's a net new job and, and people pay their for their livelihoods using that. And so like, I think about that shift and I think about the AI shift and there's gonna be net new jobs where probably in the next 10, 15 years, there's gonna be someone that like talks to your algorithm for you, right? And tries to discern, you know, why it's doing some of the weird things. Cause I don't see there being a future where we actually turn off AI algorithms. I think that's gonna do more net harm than good. But then on the flip side of that, you know, I think about globalization and how we were actually uh, able to see what true globalization would kind of look like uh, in a COVID world and, and post-COVID that doesn't seem to have slowed down much. It's interesting you bring up the, you know, the transformation of AI and how effective it's been because, you know, when you made that point, I, you know, I was thinking about that. I'm like, I, I've seen some huge benefits and I don't think people realize how quickly and accurate it'd be. Are, are there industries that you've seen, especially being so involved in so many different companies in the tech world, I mean, are there are there different companies that um, or industries do you think will be impacted more by AI? Man, that's a that's a, that's a good question. I mean, honestly, there's industries I'd love to see impacted by AI. You know, one of the first ones is how about legal. mine? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's already AI has already impacted that. I, I bought a piece of land the other day, and the uh, the guy told me when I was closing, yeah, all the description and even the images that was generated by AI. Did you notice? And I was like, no, I didn't notice. And so, <laughs> you know, you know that, that I, are you are you doing that in your in your uh, that, in your world? You know, there's a lot of architects and designers that have really taken a hold of AI because the creative process is so much faster, right? I mean, like, will you ever deliver blueprints or mockups that were generated completely by AI, though? Yeah, I. Do you think? I don't think that's far off. I mean, honestly, I, I really don't wow. think that's far off. Yeah. And I, I still think there's a, there's a need. I mean, I, the one thing that I'm still trying to get my head around is how does that impact labor, right? And install, because how much automation and maybe it helps with supply chain and, you know, with AI, th there could be a quicker database to say, okay, if I need this material product, there's a, there's a better way to research it to see who has it throughout the world, maybe expedite that aspect. The install is still a tricky part for us. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. I just wouldn't, I, ne I would have never expected you for you to say, yeah, we're going to be able to deliver, you know, blueprints or, or mockups just using AI. Like, that's insane. Yeah, and I guess, you know, from the blueprint side, what's interesting is um, a lot of, you know, a lot of us are accustomed to what we've been trained, right? And so right. AI kind of opens up a new aspect of creative designs and is it feasible? And already for a long time, they use what's called BIM modeling, which is essentially like you're modeling in 3D the house already. So like if you're designing a house, Q Harrison, you can go through and essentially see this model in 3D and you can understand where ductwork has to go based on the architecture and you have all the structural components. And so you're integrating the, the realistic aspect of install with the complexity of design and through BIM modeling, I would imagine that it gets more complex over time with, you know, I've already seen a lot of architects, you know, they're, um, they're, they're taking you through the design at 3D before it's ever built. And I think that's going to continue to enhance, you know, the design experience. Just we'll see what happens. In 3D, more so like the metaverse, where like I put on a, an Oculus and, and go through it? or Yeah, so there's a lot of design okay. firms and rendering companies and even locally here in Scottsdale, a couple architecture firms that use the Oculus. So they're designing the home 
you put yeah. the Oculus on and you're essentially walking through your home as if it's built before it's done to really see viewpoints and skylines and, you know, city lights and whatever you want to see. The, the pool could be done and you could change the colors, uh, you know, the furniture. It's pretty amazing. So I've seen that. And, you know, like the funny thing is, I don't even think that's the most impressive version of that tech yet. <laughs> Have right. you seen the one where I was in Dubai and, dude, they had this they had this demonstration where you could design the house and it was a big warehouse and there was like proje projection mapping on the floor where the floor plan would actually change in, in this, in this warehouse and you could kind of walk through it. That's incredible. Right, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to find that link and share it with you. But like that to me was like, cause it's, it's, it's not, I mean, the future of that would obviously just have the holographic how home that you're walking through. You wouldn't even need the, the, the goggles or the mm -hmm. glasses. But on the flip side of that, I mean, like today, you can walk in the projection mapped floor plan. You can say, oh, okay, my bathroom would be here. The kitchen's in the, you know, down the corridor there. Like, here's the staircase. Like, it's kind of cool because if it's, if it's in this big warehouse where you, could, you can realistically kind of fit certain homes, not all homes, of course, but certain sized homes, it's not, it's not a bad way to, to, to visualize your property. So being that we're always behind the eight ball, right? We're a little behind in construction. We're seeing to be slower to adapt a lot of new technology and methods and stuff. Other industries that are way ahead right now that you're seeing, especially with your involvement, you know, with AI and integration. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, when it comes to AI, people that are like furthest, I wouldn't say that there's anyone that's like super far ahead. There's people that have really well-defined data sets and they're organized. But a lot of the new fundamental shifts in AI, like generative AI, are it's been around for a few years. Like 2017 is when GPTs were introduced to the world. And then, you know, people didn't start to care about it really until like 2020. So you had some of the, the first open AI GPT models that like kind of landed on the scene. And then in 2022, as we saw last year, this stuff got really, really good. And then everyone got a chance to, to rock with it through the introduction of ChatGPT. And so now you have a ton of people that are using it for their everyday jobs, whether it be uh, counseling. So I know a lot of people that want to make a decision or they want to practice negotiation. They'll start off with like a ChatGPT prompt and, and have that combo. And that's like on the day-to-day -day side. Um, when it comes to the more prolific, like, oh my gosh, I'm using AI to do this. Um, I've seen people uh automate whole departments like you know you can you could replace your ads copywriting team um largely you know put in you know what you want tell the the ai exactly what the product is how you want to market it what are some of the limitations what platform is going on and ask for 40 or 50 different ads look at those take them out run them as a test and you know you can split test right there and you don't even have to have a copywriter anymore um, I've seen a lot of the use cases for Midjourney. You know, you're using Midjourney for everything from flyers to screenplays to uh, even more, like a storyboards. Like that's those are some of the like real tangible use use cases where I'm seeing like, okay, this stuff is coming to life. On the advertising front, I mean, we saw generative AI being used in the Super Bowl. So like, when I think about where this stuff is 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 being where it's being put, where it's been measured and like how people are slowly integrating it into their everyday lives, like bigger corporations that are closer to this data and have it more defined, they're doing cool stuff with it. I mean, obviously you've got the Microsofts and um, even in the healthcare sector, you've got a, a few companies there that are doing amazing things. But on the everyday, like practical, I'm a freelancer, I'm a business uh, use case, um, small business use case, I mean, 
Uh, I think it's more so like, you know, it use AI is, is something to go faster. So this task used to take me two hours. Now I can do it in 10 minutes. And that, that's an interesting point. So it's so much, maybe not even the elimination of the need, but maybe you can limit the amount of personnel or overhead, if you will, because yes. to your point, I've seen with marketing and maybe that's one of the industries that's going to be uniquely impacted because from blogs to, as you mentioned, logo creation to, you know, different data points, you know, you can do this through chat GPT pretty quickly, but you're still yeah. going to have to someone who still understands the goal, the vision. I mean, I'd imagine with your experience, especially because you're so involved in marketing, there has to be some sort of human element, I'd imagine. As much as I'd like to say there should be, I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily tell you from exploring this technology that there, that there's going to need to be, right? That's like, awesome. Um, it, it's awesome, and yet it's also very frightening, frightening mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, there's not many things that make me queasy in emerging technologies. This is one of them. Uh, largely because if we go too far, containment probably is not going to, to be possible, right? Like the, the models will... Every day, this thing gets to more and more data, and that data is used to and to make it better. So we've already seen it go from, you know, last year this time, if you asked chat to write you a paper, it'd write you a paper, and it would have a lot of factual errors and a lot of hallucinations in it. Today, not as many hallucinations. Um, still, it still feels like a robot wrote or, like, generated the stuff because it's too, it's not concise. Brevity is not uh pursued with the algorithm just yet it hasn't understood that context where like humans don't want to read uh 10 pages so just give me the skinny that hasn't come through yet but when, by the time it comes through i mean like dude what what, are, what what is the human input like i mean we already don't think we consume a lot of our news and media off tiktok i mean we're, we're talking right here on a social platform so i think that like we have to also think about the data we're training ourselves on because the algorithm can watch all these different sources. And I think now is a perfect time to go deep in something because really the only people that are going to be at the top of their game, top of their craft are the people that are truly um, near master or near excellence level. And so what do you mean by near master, near excellence level? I mean, we know what a master looks like in any in anything. I mean, like we look at the sport the sports world, you've got all the basketball stuff. I mean, is anyone denying you know, any of the, the NBA players, they're all near master or excellence levels. And then you've got greats, right? Like Kobe Bryant or, um, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. So you've got people that are just excelling at what they do. And, you know, they're, they're, they're truly masters of their craft. I think that everything that we consider a role or profession is going to have some human uh, experts that are masters of their craft. But if you're mediocre or, you know, you're kind of like a meh, like there's no need for you. We can just get AI to replace you. That's interesting. So I, I feel like a lot of us have seen, I mean, there's almost been a separation, right? And, and so you feel that separation will be even greater between, you know, those that are becoming more skilled in the craft, whatever their profession is, as opposed to those that aren't putting in the time and effort. Yeah. I mean, that's really going to be the difference because like, I don't think a, a master in theory, like the way I think about it is like, uh, let's talk about, I mean, you're, you're in construction. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of Zaza Hadi, a really big designer. Mm -hmm. If I were to like, I know what that property looks like. I also know that a lot of people like that. So the AI is going to make a bunch of fake Zaza Hadi uh, pro properties. The difference here is like, there's only one Zaza Hadi. So Zaza can stay ahead of the whole game by just being Zaza. Because the AI can't be Zaza. 
And so in order to be Zaza, you have to already have all the inputs. You have to kind of went really deep and studied and understand the craft. So fundamentally, anyone that's a true designer that studied design, practices it, built their own thesis and, and stylistic properties, they're going to be fine. Like, I mean, yeah, you've got Midjourney and it might be able to make similar stuff, but it can't make exact replicas of this person because their creative brain uh, is, is, still, is still going. And I think that there's the, the biggest problem with masters or people that are going to be like excellent at their craft and they're competing is that the AI is super fast and it can, it can pump out 100,000 of these within, you know, hours, whereas you might only be able to get, you know, one or two done within hours. And so that's going to be the biggest uh, bottleneck. And I think that maybe if we start to just advance our AI literacy. So like what I mean by that is, you know, people need to be using these AI tools today. You need to understand the same way that a designer is not going to let uh, a new version of a, a, an Adobe product go, or in your world, you're not going to let the next uh, CAD software go, right? Like you're going to you're gonna, if there's an update, you're gonna integrate that eventually into your process, learn it and make sure, you know, the people on your team are trained um, appropriately in that. The same thing's gonna have to happen um, within pretty much every single industry today with AI. Like we have to upskill our workers, our management, our bosses, the, 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 the board of directors even. Like everyone needs to be fluent in AI because that's gonna be ultimately the, the cutting edge advantage that a lot of people will uh, retain. So it's gonna be your expertise mixed with your AI literacy gets you to peak productivity. Um, when your peak productivity is a reach, then you're gonna to wanna to maximize efficiency. So like you, 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 know, you wanna figure out you know, where, where you can be more efficient in that process. And then you have like kind of a vision for what an AI corporation kind of looks like. The V1, V1. It's interesting because when you speak about just the proficiency and the effectiveness and you talk about mastering and the AI as well, and it, it brings you to the peak of your industry, if you will, where does that mindset come from? Because like for you, Q Harrison, I mean, you speak about it so openly and so confidently. And I think yeah. many, many of us struggle to some extent, no matter what it is, right? Change is hard. And we all know that the only constant is change. And we've heard all the quotes and stuff. But in every industry, it's so easy to get sucked into the day-to-day, -day, the mundane. How, how do you – and it can be overwhelming. You know, here's this new app I need to understand. Here's AI. Like, yeah. Where does that mindset you personally and maybe those in your network to say, okay, I can see the big picture. I'm not going to get overwhelmed. And here's how I'm going to yeah. you know, or um, apply it. So I've always been a voracious reader, always. Like, I mean, obviously I'm an author. It's really hard to write if you don't consume. So that's always been true. One of the things that I've also always done is take copious notes. I mean, I used to be the kid with a field notes uh, notebook in, in my pocket, taking notes on everything, uh, studying things. As we got more into the digital age, I kind of let traditional paper go. Um, it just became... Um, burdensome and it was yeah it was it was not only a burden to carry this all around all everywhere but it was like if i didn't have the right notebook i couldn't reference it and then it just became a whole cumbersome process so i let that go and then i was taking notes digitally but i was doing it in all these different places and then like uh, the most consistent form or medium was evernote because i had, had that the longest and and whenever something didn't work i just went back to evernote and then eventually i was like you know what i could probably like I was writing the Floyd Mayweather uh, book that, that uh, is coming out, and uh, it's called The Undefeated Mentality. And I was 
in that process, when I was doing research and studying it, one of the things I was super fascinated by is like Floyd for every fight largely has allowed people to come into his gym and watch him train. And you would think that like, okay, Floyd Mayweather, this guy, he's gonna build this new strategy. We probably don't wanna let the public see what that is. But no, like they literally have open training sessions. You get on the list or you figure out how to get in. And like just general admission, it's like, it's just general members of the public are in the gym while this guy's training to go like fight some of the biggest fights of his life. And so I'm like, damn, like that's like open sourcing uh your own learnings like it's like okay like any, any anyone can watch and see what you did and then they can go watch you perform in the fight and the real the, the actual thing but like that process like what does that look like in other film and other forms and other mediums and i ended up building a wtf journal um that was like the 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 inspiration behind that and my wtf journal is basically a space where I go every day and I ask myself, what's the future? And I take detailed notes and store them in a journal. That journal's available online for free. I don't like overly promote it. Like I think I, I might post a link or two there on, on like Twitter or something or X. And now that's what it's called now. Uh, but I don't, I, I'm not like, this is not my, this is not my space where I'm like, this is a final product. No, it's very much a draft. This is very much me formulating thoughts. And I put that out there because I, I want other people to, to copy the format. Like it's an easy way. It's like, just make a commitment. I'm going to learn something new every day. I'm going to uh, do what is going to crystallize those learnings for me personally. Um, for me, it's writing. For others, it might be making a video. For some other people, it might be making a doodle or a sketch. I don't know what it is for you. For some people, it might be making music. I don't know. Create something that's going to just crystallize that that understanding and just stay with, stick with it every day. It's like learning a language or any other thing. You just have to do a little bit day over day. And it compounds. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects so for anyone any scale any size they're the ones to call they're here local you know they have an amazing instagram make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing so if you need windows and doors give sammy and adam a call we stand behind pella we love what they do their culture their brand and especially their quality and if you want to learn more about pella windows check our show notes we'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out so with that WTF journal, right, that's an open form, essentially, that anyone can go and yeah. see what's in Q's mind, right, what you're writing. Yeah. Do you feel that that vulnerability has opened doors, networking? How has that branched out for you? So it's it's funny because, like, I knew nothing about generative AI. And, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to say that. I was not as accustomed to going deep on generative AI, like, in November of last year. 
so we're recording this in November. I literally got in my WTF journal and just asked myself, what's the future? And started thinking about AI from all these different angles and doing research day over day. I still have a day job. I still have a lot of other priorities, but like around 10, 11 o'clock every day, I'm on the, I'm on the internet detailing what I learned or, or taking some of the notes or findings that I had from that day and capturing that and putting it on a, on a note. Now, what's happened is, you know, let's say I have to give a presentation. Or let's say someone's asking for an example, or let's say, you know, there's, there's something I want to produce in the future. I've got that note card digitally that I can just go back to and say, okay, this is how I thought about this when I first saw it. Has my opinion changed? Uh, how do I, how would I present this today? Uh, what is a more polished version of this look like? And how do I get that output uh, done within the, the current time frame? And I think it's just, honestly, it's a, it's a better it's a better process to manage uh, to manage to, it's a better it's a better process for me personally to to manage accountability. If I know that everyone knows that I'm doing this thing, then like basically the peer pressure of people saying, "Hey, why didn't you do your everyday?" So, "Hey, why didn't you put your put something in the the journal today?" like or what's that? I don't want to hear that from anybody. So, guess what? I'm just going to do my, my note, even when I don't want to. It also just builds discipline, man, and character, right? Like if you're going to commit to something, whatever it is, making your bed, brushing your teeth, whatever, like we have these commitments that are both internal and external um, within ourselves um, and for ourselves, but we, we do very rarely do things that contribute to lifelong learning. And so that's just an example of one way of doing it. I think whatever that looks like for you, now is definitely the time to figure out What's going to get you to peak productivity and, and, and what's the efficient means of doing it? Sometimes the most productive version of yourself isn't the most efficient version of yourself. And I think parents oftentimes can relate to that, right? There's a lot of things parents can do to maximize their uh, productivity, but it wouldn't be efficient for their parenting lifestyles. It's fascinating because I've never thought of it in this context that by you doing this, uh, you know, the, the journal out there, th there's kind of twofold. One, the consistency and, you know, there, there's value to that, right? To someone who's going to commit to something and continue to do it, right? And there's accountability there, which is going to just continue to, I, I would imagine just personally, that's going to drive you, you know, personally <laughs> and in every aspect of your life. What's interesting is when you mentioned what, when you have speaking engagements and, you know, forums and podcasts and all the different things that you're doing you, uh, you know, yeah. on the platform that you have, that you can go back and research. This is what I thought of it then. Here's now. And I, th that was fascinating to me because I'm thinking about so many of us, you know, we have different life experiences and business experiences. And as we're trying to enhance different aspects of our life and business and culture, and whatever it is, that, that opinion changes based on the current experiences and network and, you know, uh, mistakes we made in the past and how's that look like now. And so that reflection I think it's something that I don't do enough. I'd imagine that that reflection going back gives you just that much more wisdom, if you will, and confidence as you're standing in front and speaking. Yeah, and I mean, the difference between a journal and a blog or a, a, a more, like even an article for like a, a new, like a publication, the difference is, is like, with a journal, I don't necessarily care. Like if something doesn't flow exactly how I wanted it to, my goal was not to, uh, make this the best prose ever, right? Like I actually have books that you can go buy that flow like butter. That's not what this is. This is the note card. This is the ingredient that's going to go into that structured thought that's going to be more robust, that's more complete. When you go watch someone practice in the gym, they're going to inevitably make mistakes, but it's those mistakes that create the learning. 
And right now we're in a time where a lot of people don't have all the answers, right? Like you can go to some of the people that have created some of the same emerging technologies that we're talking about today. And they're saying, hey, I'm still learning this stuff myself. I think, I think with that, we all kind of need a journal right now or some type of record, some type of documentation process. I'm not saying it has to be a journal because everybody doesn't like to write, but it has to be a spot where you can go and just organize your thoughts, capture that, and reference them in the future so that way you can kind of build the perspective. Because if things change, you want to be able to see why they changed and what the vantage point was. It's like, okay, I thought uh, prompting would be a big deal. Like if you go and read some of my earlier stuff, maybe in January of this year, I thought everyone needed to learn how to prompt. I, like today, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's going to be some prompt engineers, yes, but I think the, the best generative AI system is going to just work with you being able to speak how you already normally do. It's interesting. So I want to get back to Floyd Mayweather example, because <laughs> the, the reason I ask is I'm, I'm curious on your research there, because I, I look at this in, interesting. I see the collaboration as super valuable, right? So in my field, you know, and, and I'm really big on this, that, you know, I want to network with other builders and figure out a better system and process and communication method and, you know, client experience, all these things. And, and part of that is that I know that if we're speaking about how we price jobs and how we compete in this market, well, yeah, there may be some jobs I win, some I lose, but if I'm competing against great competition and people understand their business, that's a huge win for the industry, right? What's interesting right. about boxing is it's very different. Like, yeah, collaboration may be important, but Floyd doesn't want to lose his job. He has to win every time. Like this is, you're, you're trying to be the best at your craft. You're always winning. So having that open you know, we're essentially for anyone that's into sports, you know, an open scouting form where people can scout and see weaknesses and deficiencies. What is his reasoning or why would he allow that to be open? Well, I mean, he's the best ever, right? <laughs> that's his mentality, right? And if you're the best ever, you don't actually care what people think or see of you because you're the best ever. And, you know, it, it goes into uh, his ego, right? His ego is like, and, and not ego in a negative way because people are yeah. like, oh, his ego. It's like, no, ego, there's, there's a healthy part of ego. Yes, confidence. And, you know, you have to believe it before anybody else. You have to see it before anybody else. That's how you achieve it. And one of the things that I think Floyd is just a master at is being able to envision the best version of himself. And he knows he's going to get there. So even if you're watching him figure out how to do a certain a certain technique a certain way he doesn't care because by the time he's in the ring with whatever opponent is going to be he knows he's the champ and he's going to make it happen and so i think that that was like it was inspiring to see because now everything becomes uh an opportunity of monetization like it, when you think about it it's like okay you can monetize practice like what other industry or what other sport would monetize the practice like they don't do that in the nba you don't you can't go buy a ticket to a to a practice facility like, yeah. like maybe if you know the team or someone on the team, maybe you can you can figure out a way to finagle that. But that is not an act. Like that's not something that's accessible to general uh, population. And so, like, I just think that also boxing is unique in the sense that it is just you versus you, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're if you're weak, you know, you're right. You know your weakness. And I think one of the things that Floyd does also really well is uh, he he practices everything. Right. Like he's he's going to whatever he can do on his right, he's going to do with his left. And, you know, it's it's like it's like he's like, I want to know every single move. So that way, when I go into a fight, I don't have to have a strategy. I can just I can take a counter and make adjustments on the fly. And I'm the best. So it's going to make it it's, I'm better than the rest.
And, and I think you made a good point there. What's unique about Floyd is that uh, probably one of the best defensive fighters ever, right? Never gets in a vulnerable position, understands, you know, so many different aspects of the fight. And as you mentioned, he's just as good as the left as the right. And it's pretty rare to have someone that can hit you both ways. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you're right. I mean, the evasive maneuvers, footwork, like, it's just like, I mean, but this is what I mean. Like, you know, we live in an era right now where like, I think we should pay attention to people that are just excellent at what they do and see how we can apply some of those lifelong lessons to our own crafts and, and professions. Cause it doesn't just have to be something that only exists in boxing. I think that that's the wrong way to look at it. Like, you know, I've learned a lot that I've applied to just everyday life from investing, but like you have to go seek out good investment advice and knowledge and see what some of the greats have done. And then you're like, Oh wait, this doesn't actually only have to apply to investing this can apply to a ton of other things in life and so like that's this the same is true with sports and any anything where people are great I mean, that's why i like to to learn from the best is like i just go and see you know how are the best doing something and i try to take that approach with anything i do like even when i play video games like one of the first things i do is i actually go online and try to find a coach for that game and it sounds ridiculous because you're like, you're paying for a coach for a video game. Dude, one hour with someone that's like the best in the world at this is going to make you exuberantly better than anyone else that picks up the game. Because you just got knowledge from the person that's the 200th best player in the world on said topic. And like, why would you ever turn that advice down? Especially when you think about the cost. It's like, okay, it might be $60 an hour, but like, you know, that's the cost of the, maybe a little less than the cost of the game for one hour, maybe you're buying two games for two, but in that two hours, you're going to pick up some skills that are going to make you, you know, much better than anyone else that, that just tried to figure it out on their own. And, and I love that perspective because so many times, a lot of us in our industry, we, you know, we're networking in an industry, we're, we're trying to understand our industry specifically, but you mentioned the crossover aspect that one, the Floyd Mayweather example of monetizing practice. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that no one's done. And so that's super brilliant from like a business aspect. But when you look at just the collaboration as you studying different industries and markets, that just makes you a better business person because you understand, okay, what's been successful in the video game world and in the investing world, you know, in the marketing and the digital world, how does that apply to me in the, you know, if I'm an engineer, if I'm a builder, if I'm, you know, architect, whatever. I mean, there's so much crossover between different, different industries. It builds perspective, yes. And like, you know, we already know the data on having diverse perspectives, but sometimes we always think that that's just literally hiring diverse candidates and like putting them in a room. Uh, perspective can be built by just seeking, uh, you know, people that are different than you and just listening and, and just trying to trying their advice. Sometimes you're going to get advice from someone that's the best in the world and it's actually not going to work out well for you. But you know, you only know that after you've tried it and, and, and taken and, and taking it for taking it into account. And then once you've taken that into account, you've changed it. Thus, you're now applying your learnings and your knowledge base, and you're gonna you're gonna tweak it until you get whatever desired result is. And I think that approach is just one that is easier to do now than ever because we have uh, very easy communication methods like i can send you a message on 15 different platforms you're likely to see at least 13 of those platforms right i just heard a, a message go off right now as we're saying that but the thing is it's like what like how do you like like now that i can reach because communication is is so accessible and diversified in many means why don't people reach out more 
why does why do we still talk to the same uh, siloed groups of thoughts? Why do we still seek like the same echo chambers? Because it creates like say I mean there's same there's a sense of sameness and likeness and like comfort in that. And like there's it's it's not comfortable whether it's digital or physical going out and saying, Hey, I don't know something. Hey, can you can you teach me? Hey, can I can I learn from it? And oftentimes when you get to the point where there's somebody that's a coach or a trainer or saying, Hey, you need this, it's it's probably too late. Like it's probably too late. Like, you know, you want to try to get ahead of the stuff before everyone knows it's like the, the next big thing. And I think that that's the part that we didn't talk about that is like future thinking. Like future thinking is not necessarily meaning you have to be in, engulfed in, you know, the world's most cutting edge emerging technologies. It's literally anyone that's just saying, you know, okay, this happened. What are the next, you know, four or five things to happen after this? You don't have to be exactly right, but it's the thought and the inputs that go into that that usually leads you to a better outcome and a better position than the person is just like, hey, I'm a wing it. Or hey, like, we'll just take it as it comes. It, it, it's so incredible because when you think about it, just you mentioned the 15 examples there and probably 13 of them, you can make a connection, you know, because this is why I brought you on. I mean, you're, you're so unique to any guest I've ever had on the show, Q Harrison. And when we met, I mean, I was so fascinated by your knowledge base. And of course, I followed you, you know, through Instagram and LinkedIn, you know, since then. And again, like you, you, you know, a pillar in your industry and the success you've had. And, you know, I'm just a builder in Scottsdale. And you think about that connection there that, hey, but it's still close. Like it could be that close. And it doesn't mean people are always going to respond, but the opportunity is there for you to connect and find them and, you know, you know, expand that reach. Yeah. Like you messaged me about this like six months ago, I think. And then like it's yeah. like six months to just figure it, figuring it some things out <laughs> the summer. You're busy. You got busy in your industry. Like, and it was like, okay, like, but the, the, we had that conversation and the history was right there. So you didn't have to remind me. I had already committed. It was like, okay, let's do this. And it was just a matter of like figuring out the scheduling logistics. But the, the, like, that's not unique to me and you. Instagram yeah. has a billion people on it. Gmail has <laughs> 2 billion people on it. Facebook has 1.7 billion people on it. And I, I don't know how many people are on LinkedIn, but I know it's more than like probably 200 million people on it, right? So you can go on there and jam and literally just you have to you have to now do the hard work the hard work is like what is going to be the attention grabber it's going to be a lot different to grab the attention of you know some hiring manager than it is let's say a billionaire per se right but both right there's again it's democratized both are on the platform you've just got to figure out how to make it move and so i think that that's the that's where the human element that you asked me about earlier is like you know empathy matters um understanding uh just the human condition and, and the human state that that matters and there's there are a lot of people that are much better at that than the than the majority of us and i don't think that those people are the people that are consumed with social uh, because a lot of those people that are good at that do it in real life and you 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 know you know what that looks like um so it's just it's like in that and, and sometimes those people they're they're afraid of the the digital uh means of communication because they're like it's like, uh, I don't want to send a tweet. I'll just call a person. Or I'll just text the person. Or I, I just emailed, you know, Manny last night. I'm going to, you know, I'll see him at dinner. Like, they don't have to express that digitally because they already have it physically. And there's just super connectors like that. But for most people, we can mimic it. And mimicking it looks like using some of the, 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 the platforms that exist today. So based on your journey, I mean, where, where did this passion come from, Q Harrison, to get into tech and the metaverse? And I mean, you've written a book on metaverse, you know, and yeah. have this understanding of AI and, and what you've done. 
You know, my passion for technology, it, it started when I was I was much younger. When I was about seven years old, I got one of those DK books. It was a book called Technology. And it was silver and shiny, and it had all these different instruments on top of it. And I remember when I would open the page, or when I'd open up the first page of the book, it had the definition of technology. And it said, like, technology is anything that is man-made. And so, I like, to me, that was like this... At seven, I was like, what do you mean it's anything that's man-made? I thought technology was like this PSP or this Game Boy. Like, and you know, that's what I was, that's what I was, I was, I thought technology was just computers. And then, you know, you go through the book and it talks about the invention of the wheel and, uh, you know, the printing press and, 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 and so many more uh, various instruments that, you know, were, were, I would say just, you know, revolutionary and, 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 and humanity and like, and not just like our society, but like humanity at large. And so I saw that, I was like, man, this is kind of cool. And I kept going, right? Like I just, I kept learning more and more about technology. I used to read Engadget every day for probably like 15 years straight. That was like, that was like my version of the Wall Street Journal. And by doing that every day, I built up a very unique uh, insight and made some interesting connections and, 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 and just was able to build a world understanding of the, of the, I would say, not only the back end of tech and like how it works, but also the front end. Like, cause I saw like, you know, what it looked like at the brand communication level. Cause I was reading a lot of that stuff for, from a young age. And so when I got into tech and I started to work in the industries, um, I just had a unique perspective cause it was just something I had immersed myself in for a long time. And, you know, being a founder, it was cool because you're able to communicate, uh, your values and your purpose to, to pretty much all stakeholders, because you have like a lot of, you have a lot of different insights into the process and you, and you've been a part, you've been on the other side of the process and now being on the investor side, uh, it's more relatable because I know what it's like to be that founder. And I have the insights into that. Now I'm saying, okay, I don't have like, I know what it's like to work with investors from the founder's perspective. I'm gonna do the things that I didn't like. All right, I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to not do the things that I didn't like when I was a founder. I'm going to do the things that I did like when I was a founder and I'm going to try to communicate differently. Right. Sometimes uh, we talk in such abstract uh, definitions that people in the industry understand it. The people outside the industry don't. And it, it, and it leads to efficiency. Right. Like that's why acronyms exist is we can we can increase our speed of communication. We understand it. We do it in tech. People do it in the medical field. I'm sure you do it in the, 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 the construction and development field. Right. Like we all have our go to acronyms. But that is not that's not inclusive, right? And there's a well, there's times for inclusivity and there's times for exclusivity, right? Like if you're in the middle of a project and you're, it's mission critical and you got to ship, okay, then let's switch to all acronyms. Let's go like super strong on, on that, like on the most efficient uh, communication possible. But if that's not true, and we know that it's not always mission critical uh, time all the time. And if it is, you're probably not going to survive. Um, what you probably want to focus on is, is, you, you probably want to focus on adding as many varied perspectives as you possibly can. So when I'm writing a new book, um, I wish I could bring everybody into the, into the writing room. I can't, you know, the publisher wouldn't allow me to. And I, I probably would go crazy because it'd be too much uh, information to, to consume. But one of the things I'd love to do is take a concept, take a chapter and like take it to a place that nobody would have ever expected. And like, just have a conversation about that chapter. Like I'll, I'll go to a church, I'll go to a liquor store. I'll go to like a, a kid's soccer game, like like places I would never randomly be because where do you think those ideas are going to go on their own naturally, 
And, you know, if you just thought they were going to stay in your high academia communities, like, then what the hell are we writing the book for? I can just call those people, right? The book is to go much further. And, 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 and that's just an example for my own world. But, like, that translates into just about everything else I do. Like, that's how I built my perspective. Have an idea, have a concept, go test that thesis in places that you would never expect. And, like, you'll be surprised at some of the rejections you get and some of the exceptions you do get. And, like, you'll also make you know, some, some pretty cool allies and friends along the way. What does that creative process look like when you're, because you've been author of many books and as you're writing yeah. and coming up with those concepts and you mentioned, you know, the soccer field and the church and the legacy on these different examples, <laughs> are these just places where you're in a different environment? So your brain is kind of opening up. Are you actually speaking to people collaborating? What does that look yeah. like? No, I'll just go and like, I'll try to like blend in, you know, like, I mean, as, as best as you can, I don't drink. So the liquor store is a little hard for me, but that's also why <laughs> I'll try to like, try to get that perspective i don't drink so i don't know what it's like so it's like you know like how what is your take on this right like but aside from that uh with the process so the book writing process for me is it's not it's not unique i mean it's 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 really the way i, I do the way i write a book and the way that works best for me is i try to think of nine chapters i i can't keep up with anything more than nine chapters just yet uh, especially for nonfiction books. And I feel like if it's more than nine chapters and it truly has to be more than nine chapters, then like, okay, we'll, we'll make that exception. But in most cases, I don't think that that is true. I think you can express your idea in a nine chapter format. And, you know, if you need more, guess what? You can always write another book. And so once I have that, I then go into the outline. And that outline, I'm going to map out, you know, several times over. But once I've got a pretty definitive, concrete version of the outline, I then go into a very extensive research process. I would say research takes up 60, 70 percent of the, the writing, the, the actual total time it takes to put together a book, because the book is not about necessarily the writing. People don't read. So you can the most excellent prose doesn't matter to me in 2023 or 2024, because I mean, who reads? Who reads anymore? Like, you know, the average American is going to read, it's a crazy stat. It's like, like six books a year or something like that. Like that's the, that's the reader. And some people might not even read a book a year. So like you, you're going into a world here where, you know, you're, you're already, the, the odds are already against you. And so what I try to go for is flow. And I know what's going to work from a flow perspective is giving people uh, insights or shocking examples that actually fit uh, the same topic that we're talking about. And, and, and that's, that's, if you read any of the books, you'll notice that that's, that's pretty true for most of the, the material I've written. And you mentioned too, yeah, the, the consummation, like consuming content, like that's number one. And that's what's in, in you know, <laughs> your passion on, on your journey. How did you get involved with uh, Mark Cuban and Mark Cuban companies? Hey man, uh, being impressive, right? <laughs> like literally, the number one. Eric, for you to take nothing away from this conversation, pick something you're going to be good at, become impressive at it, and people will email you and reach out to you. Austin Cleon told me that a long time ago, and I'm so I'm going to reiterate and share that advice. That's the advice that changed my life. Literally, I heard that in 2012. It, it still rings true, uh, almost 11 years later. So I'm going to explain the Mark Cuban story. I was in New York. And I was walking uh, down Broadway and I made like a turn. I was just, you know, just, you know, it's New York City. It's in the middle of the summer. So, or, or, or it's actually not the middle of the summer. It's the end of spring. So it's like spring, summer, you know, it's like kind of cold, but like not hot. 
It's like perfect walking weather. So I'm in, I'm in New York and I'm just strolling. Like I'm just casually like doing what people do in New York. Probably have like my AirPods on and just walking around. And I'm walking and I see this Banksy uh, building that was tagged. So like Banksy tagged this building in New York. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And like, you know, I'm looking at it. A lot of people are looking at it. And I was like, probably one of the first hundred people to see this thing. I just, it was just happenstance. Well, I take a picture of it. And it was one of those things where it just, it couldn't get, it couldn't get the image out of my mind. I was like, wow, I saw a Banksy. Wow, I saw a Banksy. So I wake up, it's like six in the morning. And I go back, look at the image. And I notice there's a billboard above it. And I saw that it had a call sign that you could like, you know, put an ad on it. And I'm thinking, okay, there's no way in hell between last night and this morning, these people realized there's a Banksy on their building. And like, you know, it's, it's New York City. If you have that real estate, you probably also have more real estate on Broadway. And your Times Square is, is all, you know, is not too far from there. So I'm like, all right, they're worried about the what's going on in Times Square because that advertising space is much more lucrative and much more, uh, it's much more important than, you know, this billboard I saw. And so I was like, let me just see if I can just buy it. And I made the call at 9 a.m. that day. They said it was available. Um, the rate wasn't crazy. I mean, it was pretty much all the money I had in my account at that time. I was, I was young, but um, I was just like, hey, I'm gonna take a risk. So I bought the billboard. Had no creative, no ad, I no, had no clue what I was gonna do. But I was like, I can figure something out with this. I mean, there's literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. Banksy uh, tagged this building. People are gonna go write press about it. It's gonna, it's gonna be an event. It's a Banksy. You can see it for the first time. And like by the time it's covered up, this billboard will be done, right? So I do that and then I go and I'm like, what the hell am I gonna put on this? So I put my <laughs> resume on that billboard. And I was like, you know, like that could be cool. But like, I didn't, I think resumes are boring. Like I think that like, you know, the paper CV thing, like I don't want a CV resume. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a formality, but beyond it being a formality, I think that like, if that is your expression of yourself in 2023, you need to stop listening to this podcast right now and you need to go like reconsider <laughs> some things seriously because like it's 2023 like you can make a tiktok and that's more exciting than like a, a, a paper resume and that's just the standard of it so i was like let me reconstruct my resume and present it in a different way and that's going to be this billboard above this bank seat. and so i did that i put that together it went you know viral um viral for the time it was nowhere near like where we are uh, today and a lot of people called me because I put like my email on it and it was cool. I got all types of random gigs and offers and just like, you know, I got a chance to talk to a lot of different people. I mean, I put my email on a billboard in New York City. You can imagine the types of crazy shit that happened. Um, <laughs> right. Like one of those things was an email from Mark Cuban. I did not believe it was real. I thought that this was totally a setup, um, but it ended up being a, a very much a real thing. And, uh, I would end up meeting Mark Cuban and the rest is history. So um, believe in yourself. Uh, if you see a once in a lifetime opportunity, don't think on it, just do it, right? Like worst case scenario, you'll you'll be a little bit worse than you were before you went into it, but you survived then, you'll survive after. And like, I think a lot of people in just society today, they can afford to take a bit more risk, right? We play life on easy mode. like. Step it up to intermediate, step it up to hard. The results, once you finish and complete it, they're much more grand ups. Like I was in, I was in a bar the other day um, when I was in Japan 
and it's like it's a kaya so they just have all random stuff and it's really close so you can hear everybody's conversation and you know the guy was talking in like pretty loud english and he was like yeah i just finished my mba blah 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 and like he was like he was just he was just going at it and i was like okay that's cool and like he was talking about like you know what he was talking about like something and it was his dreams and i was like dude like you're dreaming too low i was like whoever dreamed about driving a honda accord like, I mean, like, you know, it's great. It's a great car. But I'm like, dude, if you just finished your MBA, what you're telling me right now sounds like, you know, a Honda Civic or a Honda Accord. You should be thinking a little bit larger than that. Like, I mean, a Mercedes would be better. You know, a Lamborghini may be even crazier, right? But, I mean, for some people, it's a Bugatti. So it's like there's different levels to this, right? Um, choose which one you want to be at. And for some people, maybe the Honda Civic is, is great enough. But I think there's too many people just saying – I'm okay and I'm content with good enough and they don't strive for the super crazy stuff, but the people that do actually end up hitting it and they're like, well, what did you do differently? I didn't do anything differently. I just, just tried, just applied. But I think what's crazy about that story, and I'm glad you shared that, Q, because I, di I didn't know that story, but what's interesting is you think about, okay, I have this billboard and there's one aspect, which is the common probably theory, right? Oh, I can have companies advertise. I can sell some you know, maybe they're up there marketing and, and you said, no, I'm investing and I'm just gonna put my email and my resume up here for everyone to see. And then it leads to Mark Cuban. And I think that's totally outside the box. Like, even as you're saying that, I'm like, I, I don't think I would have ever thought to say, I'm going to put my resume and email up there. And that's where there's just a creative and willingness to, to be vulnerable. As you mentioned, just with the way you're doing your WTF journal, by putting yourself out there, it's going to open up opportunities. And that's what so many of us are reluctant to do. What do we talk about? We never talk about people doing the same thing. I mean, how many people you've seen walk around with the same boots or the same purse or the same car? But well, the minute something different happens, you're like, oh my, like, did you see this different thing? Or that guy's purse, that's such and such is crazy. This is that. It's like, that's marketing, right? Like just doing something different. Like, and, and, and actually doing it in a tasteful way or doing it in a unique way where it's going to, it's going to drive a little bit of attention, but like, there's going to be good and bad things that happen no matter what you do in life. Like you could be super successful and have people hate on you. Um, you could be a really bad person and people will love you, right? There's, 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 there's two sides to every story, two sides to every coin. And in this case, like you can't worry about the other side, just worry about the side you want to be on and focus on getting that. And then like, guess what? Once you get there, we're humans. We always want more. You're always going to go for, for the next thing. or You're always going to be like, this could be a little bit better. It's just in our nature, right? So it's like, you'll be surprised at what you, what you, what you can accomplish. And I mean, you also are a testament to that. I mean, look at where you started and where you are. Like, <laughs> you don't have to, like a lot of people, like, I mean, that's, a, that's a, one heck of a story. Yeah, I totally agree, Q Harrison. And, and again, I can't thank you enough. I, I know how busy you are for making time today for, for our listeners and for the podcast. I can't thank you enough. So as we close here, um, outside of all the business ventures that you're speaking about, what do you do for fun? Man, right now, like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm pretty bored. I read a lot, but I'm, I'm getting into racing. So I... I'm, I'm in the racing simulator a lot more than I, than I, than I would like to admit, but you know, when I, when I, when I can find time to just, you know, cruise around the track virtually, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. And you know, what got me into it was actually when I was writing the metaverse handbook, there's a section in there where I talk about like actual practical uses of the, of the metaverse. 
And I was seeing how like pilots were actually training uh, in flight simulators at home using like, you know, just standard VR equipment. But like those pilots were, they were, they were killing these exams. And it was just literally like, they're just in this, this, this makeshift cockpit with a VR headset and, and, and it's working for learning, you know, at least the movements and, and the practice. And so I was like, wow, like this, this simulation stuff is cool. So I ended up building a simulator and, and, and I was like, you know, flying to me isn't the most exciting thing. Like I, I've, I've tried it. I've done the pilot. I've been to flight school and all that. I, I get bored in the cockpit. Like when I'm up in the air in Cessna and all that, it's like, that's not, it's not exactly my cup of tea, but racing, I was like, ah, now I can get with this. And so, you know, I'm in Texas. There's, there's a lot of tracks here. Uh, I used to drive a Supra. So it's one of those things where, you know, I, I like things that go fast and uh, I want to, I want to see, can you actually get pretty decent at racing from just doing the simulator? And uh, obviously there's some things that definitely change, right? Like you're not going, you're not actually feeling the the force against your body when you're going at such high speeds. But I mean, we there's a lot enough case studies to, that prove that you can. And heck, there was even a, a movie called Grand Treason yeah. that came out this year that's about right. just that, that, that happening. So I think that that's going to be much more the norm than the abnormal, uh, the abnormal. So that's what I've been spending a lot of fun time on. It's just like, you know, like playing around with different simulators and seeing, you know, what the future of this stuff looks like. Well, for those listening, Q Harrison, where can they find you? All right. Well, the easy part is if you go to QHarrison.com, you can find all the formal stuff about me. If you want to see the Everyday's journal that I've been working on or the WTF journal, go to everydays.wtf. It's pretty simple. Just type it in on any uh, browser chrome safari whatever the word everydays dot wtf and you'll you'll get access to all the things that i'm thinking on for the last few days <laughs> well q harrison you've been amazing can't thank you enough for making time to join us today thank you for having me it's been a pleasure if you give value for the show please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to and i also have a favor to ask we've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom their knowledge about their business so if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.